Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. And the first one's always the hardest, you know, and then I think that you become more confident with the process and, um, you know, you want to up, upsize the, the next next development. This is Property Investory where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Taran Shum. And in this episode, we're chatting to accredited investment advisor, business owner and mother to three, Melinda Jennison. Since the age of 18, Jennison has been buying property and building businesses with her husband. In this episode, you'll learn her current strategies for investment and experiences in development and much, much more. Jenison shared with us her love for adding value to properties herself. She now explains some more details of her specific investing strategies. Well, for us, definitely buying properties that appeal to the owner-occupier market, adding value to those properties through either cosmetic renovation, structural renovation or development, and then, you know, um, using those properties as equity for for future purchases. So that really ha- has been our primary strategy. It's um the the locations that we choose for our personal portfolio are in terms of the residential pockets are high growth um, locations. So capital growth is our primary strategy. Uh, we're not we've been less focused on yields. It's not something that has been important to us. Um, so we've really been looking for quality assets in locations that typically deliver uh, above average capital growth, but also manufacturing, you know, some extra value in those properties. It, it helps us to ensure we get a premium quality tenant as well, because tenants will pay um, more for properties that, you know, have the new kitchens and the new bathrooms and that are nice, clean and tidy to live in. So that's always been helpful because we've never really had ish- any issues with tenants. Um, so that that probably provides an overview of what our strategy has been, and then an extension of that has been in the development space. But in terms of our developments, we haven't actually retained those. So that was more as a business venture to to you know knock down those properties, replace them with you know something of a higher and better use, but then sell those and and then put that money into the next one, and so on and so forth. Uh, okay, so so basically, those developments you've pretty much unsold, so that way you take the profit and then just reinvest it back into whether or not you want to buy more other properties. Correct. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And and was that something that you had planned initially, or just happened that you had that project that was available? 
So we had planned that we wanted to move into the development space because um, we were planning an exit out of construction. So it was uh, it was a, a slow a slow burn journey, if you like, probably over a period of of seven to ten years because there's a lot to learn with development. And even in the building space, we were helping developers with a lot of council approvals and um, certainly getting all the building approvals in place. But doing it for yourself um, is a different process. You've you've you can you can burn and you can lose a lot of money very quickly. So, you know, we probably spent um, a number of years learning the process from others through our network contact before we were willing to to throw our money on the line and do it for ourselves. So, you know, that first project that we completed was uh, really successful, uh, but I think it was because of the planning that went into it and because of the time we took in learning the process from others before we sort of jumped in and, and took on that risk. Mm. And it's wise to do that because you've got so much experience and it's just a matter of deciding, okay, do we go into it or not? And um, <laughs> a lot of people jump, jump in. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and the first one's always the hardest, you know, and then I think that you become more confident with the process and, um, you know, you want to up, upsize the, the next next development. Um, and, and I guess for us, you know, it was all in the timing. You know, we didn't want to bring a development or a unit development to market in a in an environment where there was going to be an oversupply. So we're constantly looking at the underlying drivers of supply and demand in the Brisbane market and, and we knew the number of apartments that had been approved and we, we saw some of the completions and the numbers started to spike So um, in terms of the commencements. So we just were very cautious about trying to compete with, um, you know, a lot of supply at the same time. And that's why we sort of sat on the the second project for about three years, um, just waiting out market movements. And as a developer, it's really important that you're bringing to market what the market needs at a given point in time and not just, you know, doing a burn and churn approach because, you know, certainly as as small mum and dad developers, we don't have the capacity to, you know, to drop prices if if the market crashes and things like that. So we wanted to protect our margins and, um, you know, only move forward when when the risk was mitigated to a point that we were comfortable. When entering into development, Jenison warns the importance of being educated and informed to control the risk factors. And it's all, you know, risk and return. I mean, people that do take on developments, um, you know, the, the risk is a lot higher, but obviously, if all of the ducks line up, the return is also a lot higher. So, there are it can be quite lucrative, but, you know, it's all about ensuring that you, you're not taking unnecessary risk and compromising on your profit margins because, you know, there is a lot of risk involved and you've got to justify that risk with the, the return you're getting on your invested money. In our last conversation with Jenison, she revealed how herself and her husband developed a block of seven units. She shares the journey of that development with us. Well, the big thing for us was probably learning to really match the product to the market. And, you know, in Brisbane, we sort of studied population trends and things like that. So we knew that there was a um, an increasing ageing population and that a lot of people didn't want the big backyard to look after and they wanted smaller units, but they they still wanted green space and they still wanted, you know, small yards, um, you know, outdoor spaces. So we really designed the units to target an owner-occupier market. So 
first home buyers that wanting to, are wanting to get into the property ladder and downsizers that were wanting to offload the family home and move into something that was smaller but still provided lifestyle amenities. So the design part of the process for us was really important because we were targeting a specific market. The, the approvals, um, I mean, that was all pretty smooth sailing. Obviously, it's just ensuring that as the project manager, you've got everything aligned and that you're constantly chasing, um, you know, engineers and surveyors and architects and um, all of the consultants, town planners, et cetera. You're constantly chasing people up. And then, you know, the once we had the council approvals, um, we were also managing at the time the old building was four flats. So we were managing the process of aligning all of the old tenancies to to finish uh, around the same time so that we could start demolition and, and minimise our downtime. So once we got to the construction phase, getting all of the building approvals, that was our bread and butter because obviously that has been the industry that um, we were most familiar with. Uh, and then the construction phase also um, quite an easy process for us given the experience that we'd had in construction. So overall, you know, we were really pleased with um, how smooth the whole process went. We didn't have any major hiccups along the way um, and uh, the result we did, we liked to speak with our market as they were doing inspections. We actually attended a lot of the time just to get some feedback from the market in terms of what they like about the property, what they didn't like about the property and then we implemented that feedback in the next design for the next project. They made sure to research the current buyer's market before deciding to develop boutique units over townhouses or high-rise apartments. Well, I think at the time a lot of people were building, um, there was a lot of infield development that was around townhouses. What we found is that in the boutique development space, there were not a lot of units. There were a lot of high-rise units, but not a lot of small complexes of six or seven units. Uh, And what we had feedback from the market in relation to was that they don't want stairs within a unit. They just want a single living a single living um, situation where the bedrooms and the main kitchen and living areas are all on one level. So that's why we went units as opposed to townhouses on that particular site. Um, and obviously, we spent a lot of time studying the city plan to understand the town planning aspects of a site. And um, so that you know, when we started to search for property, we knew the the zoning that the land had to be and we knew the overlays that impacted on that site to understand whether it made a good development. And we we set our team up early. So we had the consultants in place who could advise us as we were looking for suitable sites. They could advise us before we put an offer in um, as to what the potential of the site would be, what the capacity is, you know, what the costs associated with sewer water and all of those sorts of services would be. So we could pretty much complete our feasibility before we put an offer in on the site. So how long did the project take to complete? Well, we held the property because at the time of purchase, it was actually positively geared. So we held the property um, for about two years before we commenced demolition. Um, and that in that time, we got all of the approvals in place. And then, yeah, the construction phase was about 10 or 11 months. Wow. Okay, that's that's pretty pretty good in terms of that that phase. So, uh, might I ask, you know, what kind of profit did you make on this kind of deal? Uh, it was just short of half a million dollars, actually. So that was it was a very profitable deal for us, and um, it was it was a yeah, we weren't disappointed in the result. Did you need to do any funding from investors, or were you able to get lending from the bank? 
Yeah, well, it took a while to be in the position to be able to move into development ourselves, but this was funded um, through our own, uh, you know, funds as well as borrowing from the bank. So we didn't have any private investors in the project. It was just us. And um, I, I guess when we moved into development, that's why we spent a few years actually working up towards that because we knew that, you know, the lending ratios are less with development. Um, I think it was around 65% lend at that time. And, you know, you've got to pay all your soft costs for your approvals and a lot of your consultants, that's not part of your construction lending. So you really need to be in a position financially to to jump into developments of that size because it's very different just to residential lending and you can't just assume that you can borrow 80% of the funds from the bank, that's for sure. Jenison is focused on setting herself and her family up for the future, just like her parents did, describing this as the main reason why she decided to start her property journey. I see my parents in the lifestyle they now have and uh, I'd love that for myself one day um, in terms of just not being in a position where there's, there's stress over finances. Um, I think also as we have you know, aged a little, let's just say it in a nice way, (laughs) Um, and we've had our own children, you really want to be able to provide something for them because looking forward, it's going to be a really tough gig for them to, to get into the property market and get started. So, I guess it's a bit twofold to answer the question. Um, initially, the driving force was looking forward to to what could be when we approached the age that we could step back from employment and, you know, rely on the investments that we'd made to to help fund a lifestyle for ourselves. But subsequently, you know, becoming parents and seeing your, your children grow up, I think that your focus changes a lot from what you want for yourself to what you want for them. And I think for us, a big driving force has now is the fact that, you know, we want to be able to, you know, not only have something for ourselves, but set our kids up so that they've got something that um, provides a good base for them uh, in their property investing journey. Because, you know, I'm all about helping them to to understand the the fundamentals around, you know, why we buy property instead of fancy cars and why we, uh, you know, would be saving our money for a deposit for a house as opposed to spending our money on Xboxes and Playstations. And, you know, they think it's very boring talk, but um, I do like to teach them about the value of money and the types of assets that, you know, appreciate versus those that depreciate. So they're the sorts of conversations that we have now that our kids are a little bit older. And um, although they're not very interesting for the boys, uh, I think long term it might just, you know, set a light bulb moment off for them, you know, sometime in the future. Yeah. And and have they ever seen any of the properties and have they been on site with what you've been doing in the past to actually see it? Absolutely. Yeah, they've always been part of the journey and, um, you know, one of our investments that um, we did a structural renovation on, they're, they're really interested in in coming and, and looking and viewing and seeing that process and, and seeing that transformation. So, you know, they've certainly seen it in our own property. You know, we've done um, various extensions or, or additions over the years and um, they love how you can transform a property just through some ideas. And then, as my husband says, when I come up with a new idea, can we do this, this or this? And he says, anything's possible. It just comes down to cost. <laughs> so I, I like that response. <laughs> 
She believes it is important to teach her own kids about the value of saving for the things they want to understand the value of money. All a lot of um kids these days are, you know, instant gratification. That's exactly what they, they're thinking of. And I'll give you an example of, and some people laugh at our parenting, but this is an example of something that we've done recently. So my 10-year-old and my 13-year-old, they're now 10 and 13, about 18 months ago, uh, they came to Scott and I and they asked if they, if we could, if we could buy them an Xbox. And I just said, well, no, that's not something that we just buy. <laughs> that's, I'm sorry, but no, but, you know, all of these other kids have the Xbox, so why can't you buy it? And I, my response was, well, if it's something that you want that much, what can you do to add value to others in exchange for money so that you can earn the Xbox for yourself? Uh, anyway, after a little bit of, um, you know, toing and froing, they put a letter in the neighbourhood letterboxes that they were starting a mowing business. Now, 18 months later, they've got a successful mowing business operating in and around our local area where they mow regularly four or five four or five um, yards and they get paid, you know, $30 or $40 per lawn. And about two and a half months after they started, they bought their own Xbox with their own money. So that's the sort of stuff that, you know, we've done as parents to help them teach or help to teach them the value of money because I think that um, kids do expect a lot these days. My boys certainly do and they, they live in a very, I mean, most Australian children live in a very privileged world in comparison to a lot of other children in the world and I like to constantly remind my kids about, you know, what they don't have that um, – sorry, what they have that a lot of other children do not have and therefore teach them that money doesn't actually just grow on trees and you don't just get things when you ask. You actually have to work to get things and you actually have to, um, you know, put some hard yards in and, and put some sweat in and do something to earn that money before you get whatever it is that you want. So I think we've taken that approach in a lot of um our dealings with our, ki our kids and, you know, from basic things like, you know, they want to go to a friend's place, can you give me $10 for lunch, mum? It's like, no, but if you'd like to take your lunch from home, you're very welcome to, but if you want them to buy it, you, you spend it with your money because you're earning some money now. So it's just little little things like that. We're not a handout sort of society. Well, certainly within our family, we, we sort of will help the kids to um, to encourage them to earn their own money and save their own money for the, the big ticket items that they're wanting outside of birthdays and Christmases. Otherwise, um, yeah, it, it just becomes a, a want-to-give relationship. It was learning through those same lessons herself as a child that she believes she was able to get to where she is today. I think that's what my dad taught me too. I mean, I mentioned previously I used to go and mow the flats and, and weed the lawns at the flats that he owned, but I, I would get paid pocket money to do that. And so I learned the value of, you know, working hard to earn the money um, to buy the things that I wanted. So, uh, you know, I guess that's that's the same principle I'm now hoping that my boys will learn. And whilst, you know, when they're little, they don't appreciate what you're teaching them, but I can look back now and know what those lessons taught me and I hope one day that they can look back and, and realise the same things that, that I've now realised. Coming up after the break, hear about the resources that inspired Jenison on her journey. I guess for me that was a little bit of a, 
another aha or light bulb moment to realize the power of um, building something outside of um, an employee's sort of um, pay-as-you-go. Daily habits and rituals, she claims, as important to her success. I like to keep my mind clear of um, obstacles and I find that, you know, morning routine helps a lot to, to set me up for for a day. The advice you give to her younger self? Probably that life's not always um, smooth and easy and that you've got to take the highs with the lows. All that and more coming up after the break. I'm Taran Shum and you're listening to Property Investory. As well as being inspired by her parents, Jenison utilised other resources and research to help her along her journey. Yeah, there's no one person that we have had as as a guide outside of, you know, obviously my dad being a property investor. Um, Scott's parents also um, are property investors, so he's obviously learned a lot from them. But uh, I'm an avid reader and very early on, I read the Robert Kiyosaki uh, book Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I guess for me, that was a little bit of a another aha or light bulb moment to realise the power of um, building something outside of um, an employee's sort of um, pay-as-you-go income. And and that's what I've always tried to focus on as, as an additional income source for ourselves in just building something on the side that, you know, can continue to appreciate in value and generate an additional income outside of our primary source of income. So, you know, books have probably been something that, you know, I've relied on, certainly Robert Kiyosaki, no other particular authors that, um, you know, have had a huge influence. But more recently, it's it, the internet's been a wealth of information for everybody. But um, being a researcher, I, I love reading about, you know, local market trends and ABS data and SQM research and, you know, a lot of data that now underpins the property market. That's what I love keeping up to date with so that I can understand what's happening at a local level. And, you know, that's what makes us specialists in this market and, and that that's the area that we're invested, that's the area we study and that's the area that we continue to help our clients in. Jenissa now shares the best advice she has ever received, which involves how you think about every property purchase. I would say that regardless of whether you're purchasing a home or an investment property, it's still an investment. Mm, okay, that's interesting. <laughs> I was going to say that it's sort of, is that Robert Kiyosaki sort of says in some sense that's also possibly a liability due to the fact that it doesn't put money in your pocket. How do we unbug that one? <laughs> yeah, well, see, the the strategy that we've always used is that um, with your home, whilst, you know, it doesn't put money into your pocket, you can still manufacture and you can use your PPR or your primary principal place of residence as a stepping stone to get you where you want to be without paying tax. And that's the value of um, a family home and certainly for investors who are starting out on their journey. I mean, a lot of first home buyers, for example, I believe um, they are the most vulnerable group. There's a lot of property spruikers that encourage first home buyers to purchase brand new properties in the, the sort of outer ring suburbs in the new estates. And sometimes, you know, 
it's the advice that they are provided um, or the advice that they don't actually seek. Uh, it can actually set them back. Whereas, you know, purchasing a, prob- a property that is in a land-banked suburb in uh, a better location and foregoing the flash brand new house for a better location, which has um, higher capital growth opportunities, that will actually help to step them or set them up for the next property purchase. And that's the biggest thing that I find. And that's probably why I mentioned, um, you know, regardless of whether you're buying a home or an investment, you know, they ask, it's all always considered an investment in my mind, because for many people, the first property they do purchase in Australia is their home. So, purchasing a home that can help to set you up for the next property purchase makes such a big impact to an individual's investment journey overall. Jennison considers keeping active every day as well as practicing meditation as two personal habits that keep her on the road to success. I'm physically active and I like to keep my mind clear of um, obstacles and I find that, you know, morning routine helps a lot to to set me up for for a day and you know I get up and I I go for a run and um, I do meditation if and when I can to help to you know just disconnect from the everyday world and you know then also just aligning our long-term goals with where we currently are so you know whilst that's not a daily habit as such that's something that Scott and I do together and and just really resetting where are we now where are we heading and what's the gap what what are we needing to do between now and then to get there that's that's not going to create too much stress for us in that journey and and meditation is is something that requires practice because I've tried it and I'm not going to say that I'm good at it but how have you been able to incorporate that into your daily life because it, it, it's a challenge, you know, we're so busy, kids, work, etc. How have you been able to incorporate it to your life to be able to help give you that kind of balance as well? I think that's the exact reason why I find when I have the when I make the time to fit it in, it actually helps. Uh, I'm the sort of person that I never switch off. You know, I'll wake up in the middle of the night and something will be on my mind and I'll have to write it down before I can get back to sleep. So to be able to just disconnect from reality and and really focus on on something that you're working on or or something that you're wanting to improve or, or something that's been bothering you, it just helps to to deal with that in a subconscious state and and then you know it provides fewer barriers for you in everyday life, in my opinion. So, look, it's not something that I've done forever, but it's certainly something that um, I'm trying to incorporate every day. I I don't get to to it every day simply because, um, you know, lifestyle sometimes gets in the way. And and if I've got to drop kids early to school or, you know, there's things that, that come up or if I've got too many things that I've got to get to, then, you know, unfortunately it's not something that, um, you know, I I make as a concrete um, thing every day. So yeah, I guess it comes down to discipline and um, and incorporating it as much as I can. And um, I do find that it just puts me in a better place after I have made the time for it. And you know, it helps me to focus on what needs to be done for the rest of the day once I know that I've had that time for myself. Ten years ago, Jenison was in a very different phase of her life. But 
If she had the chance, she'd remind her to take life as it comes. Well, 10 years ago, I had just had my third son. So <laughs> I was probably in a, a different space in, in my mind because we were very focused on, on kids. We had very young kids at that point in time. Now that my youngest is, is 10 turning 11 this year, I guess we've moved into a different phase in our life. What would I say to myself, uh, the person that I was 10 years ago? Um, probably that life's not always um, smooth and easy and that you've got to take the highs with the lows and it's not about how many highs and lows you have, it's about how you deal with them and how you pick yourself up and how you move forward and what you learn as a result of them. So I guess life is a journey and you've got to make the most of the opportunities that are presented to you and um, that's probably what I'd say to my former self. Looking forward, Jenison is excited to see which markets will grow over the next number of years and continue to find opportunities for investment and business growth. Look, we're um, in a position, we're excited about the Brisbane market. We're, we're positioned um, obviously within Brisbane and I think Brisbane's had a really cool ride recently in comparison to to Sydney and Melbourne, certainly when Sydney and Melbourne were appreciating at rapid growth rates. We didn't have that here in Brisbane, but it seems all the fundamentals are now in place for the Brisbane property market to outperform. And certainly a lot of researchers are, or research firms are predicting good capital growth in Brisbane over the next two to three years. So, you know, I'm looking forward to to riding that wave, but I'm also looking forward to seeing what happens post the federal election that's potentially coming up um, because there's a lot of hesitance, uh, hesitancy in the market, in my opinion, um, around or there's a lot of uncertainty as well, as well around what's going to happen after that point in time. So I'm looking forward to seeing that behind us and then, um, you know, positioning ourselves again you know, pending the outcome of that election uh, to, to maximise the opportunities that um, will continue to exist until January 1 next year uh, if Labor get in. And, um, you know, a few decisions for us personally will be based around that as well. But, um, yeah, I think that uh, we'll just see where we go in the future. Jenison believes a little bit of luck is always needed in a change of property markets. But of course, skill, intelligence and hard work are very important also. Well, I think that for us personally, um, you know, being in Brisbane, particularly, you know, in the last, I would say, 15 years, we've seen Sydney and Melbourne prices go up significantly and I've seen a lot of people um, become very wealthy very quickly because the market shifted very quickly. Here in Brisbane, we've not seen that that level of activity. So I think anyone that is positioned well and um, still doing okay in their property portfolio, it has to be attributed to skill and knowledge and um, strategy as opposed to luck. So I would hope that in five years' time, I can look back and say, hey, now we've had some luck because the Brisbane market has shifted, you know, this much <laughs> and, um, you know, Really, sometimes, you know, we can't predict exactly what's going to happen in property markets and within property markets, but we can certainly use our skill and knowledge and position ourselves for the maximum opportunities that may come as a result of market movements. So that's what I would say to answer that question. 
If you're interested in finding out more about Jenison or reaching out to her, here's the best way to do so. We have a website at www.streamlineproperty.com.au. I'm also quite active on LinkedIn and my profile is just under my name, Melinda Jenison. I do have a, um, a good following and produce a lot of content that I share with people on that platform. And we're also on Facebook, Streamline Property Buyers and Streamline Property Buyers Brisbane on Facebook. So feel free to reach out at any time um, through one of those channels. I'd like to say a huge thank you to Melinda Jennison for joining us on this episode of Property Investory. If you'd like to find out more about her journey, head over to propertyinvestory.com.au.